Hey everybody, welcome to the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza, of course brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Make sure you guys go to Bucky's Fifth Quarter for all your Wisconsin Badgers news notes uh, discussion, and it's uh, Wednesday, was it? It's, what night is it? It's Tuesday night, yeah, different from our normal nights that we do this, usually it's Wednesday or Thursday, and it's a, uh, I wish it was Thursday night, uh, as we're gearing up for a huge weekend coming up, uh, we have tons of talk, uh, at the bottom of the hour, SB Nation's Matt Brown will step up uh, and uh, talk some Ohio State Buckeyes preview what to what we should see from JT Barrett Mike Weber and that uh, daunting Ohio State defense too uh, so that'll be at the bottom of the hour at 8:30 Central Standard Time right now uh, another place to go for all your Wisconsin Badgers news and notes and, and, and just some great content all around uh, from ESPN Wisconsin we got Tony Cartagena on and Tony I hope us being Polish I hope we got your last name right I, I would grade it about a about a B. I'd, I'd say it's close enough, um, so that oh, works oh, for what, me. Oh, 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 serious? What did I? How, how did? What, what, <laughs> what's what's the best way to say it? Now I feel like I'm uh, like a schmuck. No, it is all good. Uh, Tony Cartagena. Oh, gotcha. Oh, gosh. It was yeah, it, it was close it, enough. It works. I've never had. I, no one gets it on their first try. No worries, man. I know. I should have asked you before, right before we talked, right before we got on air. Gosh, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I am sorry. Uh, on that note, Tony, it's a uh, big weekend, and, you know, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the Badgers coming up. Obviously, ESPN College Game Day coming to Bascom Hill on Saturday and, and, and just a big sports weekend overall for the Badgers uh, on multiple fronts for sports. But, you know, you mentioned that you were going to Green Bay. You know, you're in Green Bay, and, and you covered – uh, you know, the Packers, and, and, and what did you, I mean, the, the victory, <laughs> nothing like a Sunday night game at Lambeau Field, just a, a nice feeling there and, 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 and kind of covering it. What did you see, you know, overall opinions from, from the Packers' win uh, on Sunday night? I thought there, were, there was a lot of good and uh, a, probably an equal amount of bad from, from the Packers. Uh, the way I look at that game, it's one of those games where, you know, had that offense been operating the way people expected to, I can't even say anymore the way we're accustomed to because, you know, frankly, that offense hasn't operated that way outside of a couple bright spots uh, since, like, 2014, basically. So, that, when the offense clicked, as they did on the first drive, when they ate up eight minutes a clock and they were able to go down for a touchdown, and then it looked like they were going to have another another touchdown before it was called back, and then the very next play, Rodgers throws the pick off of the dropped ball by Jordy Nelson. You know, th- those things were good outside of the pick. I still think both of those drives were good. They had a lot of personnel involved offensively. And and they seemed to be moving the ball well. They seemed to be in a rhythm. I know the New York Giants were banged up defensively, but so were the Packers. So I don't really look at, like, those reasons for, you know, for excuses or anything. But in the second half, it seemed like the, the Packers often kind of went back into the shell, back into the three wide receivers, one running, like, the, just the – like standard basic football plays that they've been running and haven't really been able to to convert anything on and and when their drive stalled out and they were settling for field goals instead of touchdowns, uh, the Packers should have won that game going away. It should have been forty five to six. You know, in going into the fourth quarter, we should have saw Brett Unley, but they weren't able to convert. They weren't able to really uh, to punch it in for seven, and so they they settled for field goals. So when you look at it that way, it was very unbalanced by the team offensively and defensively. I was pleasantly surprised. So the way I look at this game, Eli Manning, Odell, Victor Cruz, Star, or Sterling Shepard, you, I, I was shocked that the Giants even decided to run the ball at all, honestly. I was like, all right, they're going to go in here. Odell's been talking all week. He's going to go off. Um, the Packers are without Sam Shields. They're without Demarius Randall. That was announced right before kickoff. Why not attack Ladarius Gunter and Quentin Rollins? Uh, and Micah Hyde moving over the cornerback position. And then the defense held up. Now, there were definitely some breakdowns, and they caught a break when, excuse me for forgetting, I believe it was the Giants running back who, you know, goes down the middle of the field on a seam route and just drops what would have been a touchdown. And then you add that into the Odell Beckham touchdown at the end of the game. And, and then we have a ball game when it never should have been a ball game. So, look, the Packers offense, obviously some question marks. Um and rightfully so, people have the right to ask why they do things the way they are and, uh, and why they're not doing certain things. But the defense has been the strength of that team this year, hands down. That run defense is something else. Those linebackers are out of this world. So all-encompassing, 
relatively boring football game, honestly, but it was it was a win. And in the <laughs> NFL, those are hard to come by. So I think people forget that, you know, going head to head with a two time Super Bowl champion is is never easy, despite you know how he may be playing this year, and Eli Manning or anything like that. So. Look, the Packers have a lot to work on. They're not a great football team right now, but they've also only played five games, four games. So they still have a a long way to go. And you would rather this team try new things and figure themselves out early in the season than hit this stall late in the year. If they're practicing things now in games that are going to help them be that high-powered offense that everyone expects them to be in week you know, 13 and then into the playoffs, I'd much rather prefer that than you know putting up 45 in the middle of uh, October, November, and then stalling out late in the year. It, it, Tony, here's the thing, though, and, and I agree with you. In the NFL, survive in advance, a win's a win. doesn't matter if it's Cleveland or if it's Seattle. You take the wins as they come. But I'm to the point, and I've been, you know, obviously – a defender of Aaron Rodgers. He was an elite quarterback all the way through week five of last year. And then things kind of fell off the rails, but I'm trying to figure out why this offense is so disjointed because you pointed it out first drive on Sunday. They look great. First half against Detroit. They look like world beaters. And I can't quite figure out if it's just predictability that allows other teams to make halftime adjustments or end of the first quarter adjustments and turn this offense into a vanilla looking offense, because they really do look like a Jekyll and Hyde team. Uh, team. There are some drives where they look like you mentioned the 2014 Green Bay Packer offense. And then there are some halves like we saw the last couple of weeks where they just look like they're not gelling. They're not in sync. And I don't know if it is the lack of different sets that they're running or if it's just that what they do has just become that predictable. I look at a couple different things. I, I look back at, let's say, the Super Bowl team, for example, back in 2010. Greg Jennings could stretch the field. Jordy Nelson was slowly becoming the Jordy Nelson that could tip the field and, and, and gauge defenders his way. Uh, obviously, obviously, Jennings is gone, and Jordy is not as fast as he once was. I honestly think speed on the outside is a huge issue for this team. And whether it was Ty Montgomery's ankle injury last year and him, you know, really not being involved too much in the offense this season or people kind of waiting around for Trevor Davis to mature. And that's a lot to put on a rookie, but he's a speedster that they could use on the outside where, you know, the Packers offense was very predicated. It reminded me a lot when it was clicking, uh, reminded me a lot of what like Kurt Warner was able to do, whether it was in St. Louis or whether it was in Arizona, the way that he was just timing wise, him and his receivers, it was impeccable. I mean, you couldn't stop it if you wanted to. And that's how I used to feel about Rodgers and Jordy on the fade route or, or Randall Cobb coming across the middle on a big third down. It was, it was so much timing. It was you knew exactly where that person was going to be, and Rodgers knew when to release the ball. And now, with the lack of speed on the outside and the NFL kind of, you know, allowing there to be a little more contact within five yards, and, you know, honest, quite frankly, pretty much that rule has extended to within 10 yards off the line of scrimmage, if you watch some of the contact between DBs and receivers, it's throwing the timing off. And it's one of those things that receivers need to, to learn to adjust to. And I think, unfortunately for the Packers, Jordy's not where he once was. Uh, and he's, he could get there, but he's just not there yet. I, you know, knee injuries, there's the physical part of things, but there's also the mental part of things. And, and that takes a while. It takes a lot longer than I think, you know, people who haven't been in those shoes or, or stepped on a court or on a field after a serious injury, I think it, it takes a while for people to actually realize what goes into bouncing back from something like that from a mental standpoint. And, and hopefully Jordy gets there and he gets that explosiveness back. And Randall Cobb, when is he not playing hurt? I mean, you look at last season, you look at the, the playoff game last year you against Arizona where he gets hurt. You look at, you know, the last hit in the New York Giants game, he's always playing banged up. Devontae Adams has never really been a speedster. And, uh, I think that a lot of it has to do with that because we can't blame the offensive line anymore. Let's be honest. That offensive line was lights out uh, against the New York Giants, and they have been all year. Uh, I do think they need some added depth at running back because James Starks is kind of showing that. He's showing his age. I, I think James Starks is great for what the team needed him to be in years past, but he's showing his age a little bit. And I was a little disappointed they didn't bring in C.J. Spiller or, or someone that could just kind of, you know, spice things up in the – offensive backfield because Eddie Lacy, you know what you're going to get out of him. And when he's rolling, no one can stop him. But how often is he, is he rolling? I mean, he is he good for eight, nine carries a game where he gets those 77 yards like he had on Sunday? 
yeah, those those carries are great, but can he be a 20, 20 carry a, a game back? He hasn't proven that really since his rookie season. So I think that's disappointing as well. There's just so many small things, little nuances of the game that get overlooked and receivers off the line of scrimmage and running backs hitting holes. That's two of them right there. And I think that has a ton to do with the, the offensive, just the vanilla, the, the slowness of the offense, the predictability. Now, Tony, let me just piggyback off of that real quick, because first Mike McCarthy's a fine coach. There's no perfect coach unless your name is Belichick. Otherwise, everybody's open for criticism in this 24-hour news cycle with all the social media. I think Mike McCarthy's career has been great, and it'll continue to be great. However, a lot of times coaches lose their job, not because they're bad coaches. Look at Andy Reid. Sometimes the message just gets diluted, or people get sick of hearing the same voice, or there's a disconnect between, say, your star player and your coach. I'm not suggesting Mike McCarthy should be fired, but how much of a hot seat is he on if this team's, you know, one and done in the playoffs again, if they're a wild card team that doesn't make it past the first round? Is it realistic to think they could consider a coaching change? Again, not saying I advocate it one way or the other, but good coaches have gotten fired before for lesser things. Yeah, good coaches have gotten fired before, and then you look at, you know, bad coaches like Jeff Fisher just get contract extensions. So the NFL is the NFL is a weird place. The way I look at it, so – I like to put things in a basketball perspective just because that's how I kind of comprehend things better. But when your coach gets a technical foul, it kind of fires up the team. You know, Bo Ryan used to do that intentionally all the time for the Badgers. And it kind of fires up the team. And I, I feel like in the NFL, sometimes despite a coach being really good and despite team success, you just need to shake things up. And whether that is a head coach or whether that's a general manager, or whether that's an offensive coordinator, or something as simple as that. Sometimes you just need to shake things up and, and get a new voice in the room, because things over time, things get stagnant, things get boring. And the question I, I've always had with the Packers is, you know, I, it, it's great. They don't have an owner. They have five billion owners or whoever donated $250 for that sheet of paper that says that they're an owner of the Packers. But when you don't have your owner, like let's say Jerry Jones with the Cowboys coming in this week, those guys demand winning. All right? So like when you have a guy that you're answering to, you know, who does Ted Thompson really, really answer to? Because whose pocketbook is he really affecting? So I look at that and I start to think, you know, if the Packers had a guy that was, you know, kind of up there in upper management where he's overseeing everything and, and setting expectations and, and going into meetings and saying, hey, guys, five years without basically a legitimate playoff victory is unacceptable. Well, what are we doing? And, and can be that kind of hair trigger guy that can pull, you know, make a move, whether it's a GM change or a head coaching change. I just, I, I think I love the Packers consistency. You can almost guarantee the playoffs and you can guarantee, you know, nine wins. And that's great because the NFL, like we said earlier in the show, it's hard to win, but what's going to get you to that next level? What is going to propel you to, to have one of those 13 and three seasons where you don't get into the playoffs as a six seed, but you, you get back to the Super Bowl and then you see what happens from there. I just, I just think sometimes with teams who are the faces of consistency, like the Packers are, what is it? 46 players on that team that were drafted by green Bay. Like the green Bay system is all they know. And I don't disagree with the notion that sometimes a new opinion in the room can make things better. I, I, I thought the Packers, struggled when they lost Joe Philbin, when they lost Ben McAdoo, when, you know, when guys like that leave, because you're just promoting guys from within. And so the system stays the same. The, the verbiage stays the same. The attitude stays the same. Uh, I mean, you know, not to be a knee-jerk reaction by any means, but Aaron Rodgers only has so much time. And I love Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy has been nothing but great to me. And Ted Thompson as well. But when you have the opportunity to, or if you are put in the position where, hey, something is obviously not working. We have a hundred and, you know, he's worth probably $200 million in our quarterback. What can we change to try to maximize his prime years? And unfortunately for the coaches, that's usually them because their salaries are pretty expendable and you're not going to get rid of the players. So do I advocate for that to happen? Probably not. But if the move went down and they had an outside guy coming in who I thought was going to shake things up, whether it was, you know, a replacement for Ted Thompson, like an Elliot Wolf, or, I mean, dream scenario, John Schneider comes back, but that obviously never happened. But something like that, I mean, 
it's not the worst idea in the world because one day you're going to look back and be like, damn, how did they only get one Super Bowl appearance out of Aaron Rodgers? I, I feel like the Indianapolis Colts are going through the same thing. They're wasting Andrew Luck. Like, they're a bad football team, and they have, you know, in a skills challenge, a top-five quarterback in the league, but they're not maximizing their opportunities with them. And, and fans get tired of it, and players definitely get tired of it. And at some point you have to start asking yourself the question, what are we going to do to change it? Tony, switching some gears real quick, we're going to talk some Milwaukee Bucks. And, you know, they were just, uh, if I'm not mistaken, we're in the Madison area and uh, just for some preseason basketball and, and talking about a fan base that's looking for – you know, I mean, obviously there's some bright future ahead with, with the new stadium being built, uh, the new arena, I should say, and uh, coming up and, and just a, a young, talented core. Um, real quick, and of course I'm talking about the young, talented core, will the Bucks bring back Ray Allen? I mean, I'm a Milwaukee native. <laughs> I grew up with them. Is it, does it make sense, Tony? Does it make sense? Uh, as a Milwaukee native as well, I wish that would have been a possibility, you know, in 2007 before he goes and wins a ring in Boston. Uh, <laughs> the Bucks can only have so many, like, ARP card holders on their team. Uh, they got Jason Terry, <laughs> who I believe is older than the head coach. Um, they, he, Jason, Jason Terry is literally 20 years older than Rashad Vaughn and, and Thon Maker. So, like, I look at it that way and just think they have their off-the-bench shooter who can't play defense, who's been around forever. I love Ray Allen. Would love to see him back in Milwaukee. Uh, I spent the last two years covering the Cavaliers, and, you know, that was a team that went to two straight NBA finals. And every day I think I was asked about, is Ray Allen coming to the Cavs? And it it didn't happen (laughs) then. Uh, He still has yet to officially retire, but to me I don't know if that's a – realistic option. I would rather them go throw money at J.R. Smith than, uh, from a realistic standpoint than bringing back Ray. As much as I love Ray, that is uh, probably not going to happen. <laughs> well, Tony, what would have made more sense would have been for George Carl not to have him dealt in the first place. But that's a whole other story. Um, uh, we could talk for hours on that one, by the way. <laughs> absolutely. But when you look at this year's team, obviously Middleton's out for a big portion of the season. Uh, but when you look at the personnel on this team, people who have pointed to the demise of the Bucks from, you know, 2015 to last year, some of them point to Michael Carter-Williams. When the trade for night for Williams happened, the Bucks went 10 games under 500, backed into the playoffs, and had a woeful season last year. Some of them point to Greg Monroe and that he just doesn't seem to fit, which I have an issue with because you knew what you were getting when you signed him, a guy who could score that doesn't play defense, yet they seem surprised that he scores and can't play defense. Nonetheless, do the Bucks need to move one or both of these guys for them to, to, to be in playoff contention, or do, can they win with these guys even though they seem to be misfitting pieces? So my question with, it mainly relies – I'm on the Moose train, if that's what we want to call it. I, I, I don't think they should move Greg Monroe. One, you're not going to get a ton back for him because he has a player option for next year's contract. So if you move him at the trade deadline, it's probably just to a contender who just wants to move a couple basic pieces and you're not going to get a good draft pick. So I think they hang on to him, honestly. Uh, Michael Carter-Williams is a good question because can he defend? Yeah, he's, he, he can defend, and he, he's one of those tall point guards. But – is he really a point guard? Because he doesn't really pass much, and his outside shooting is worse than Rondo was when he was in Boston. And Rondo was surrounded by shooters, so he was able to mask that. So the way I look at Carter Williams is a very expendable player. If they pulled the trigger, as was rumored a couple weeks back, maybe even last week, uh, moving him for Ben McElmore out of Sacramento, yeah, I would have been, been in favor of that trade. However, I think some of the moves the Bucks made this offseason – really benefited that team. And, and I got a, I got actually had the unique opportunity to have a, a one-on-one sit down with general manager, John Hammond uh, a couple weeks ago. And I was asking him about the trade from Michael Beasley. And granted, he doesn't play the two guard position like Chris Middleton, but he was telling me how that trade was in the works for, for a week before Middleton goes down. And which made a lot of sense because Beasley off the bench, I think would be a great rebounder and an intensity guy and losing Middleton sucks. And I heard some people talking about how, you know, it was September when he goes down and people were talking about how the Bucks are for sure not making the playoffs anymore. And it was just like the biggest hot take that I thought I had ever heard. So the way I look at how they're running their team, 
Saturday night I'm in the building at the Cole Center, and obviously they have Giannis at the point guard position, kind of. Uh, they brought in Matthew Della Vadova, who I couldn't be more excited about to have on the, on the roster, and that's just a selfish thing from getting to know him in Cleveland so well. But they ran a lot of their sets where they have guys bringing the ball up the floor, dribbling to one side of the court, and then start, basically starting an offense with three guards on the perimeter. And I think in that position – Michael Carter-Williams could actually be pretty effective because he's very effective in the lane. And if you start using him in the capacity where he's more of like a one-two hybrid and not so much just expected to be a pure point guard the way he was in college at at, at Q's and the way he was in Philadelphia, and you can kind of feed his strengths, it's definitely worth a shot. And uh, is he going to score 30 a game for you? Absolutely not. But if they can just pick up his efficiency numbers – uh, he's not a bad piece to have. And then worst-case scenario, you know, he pads the stat sheet a little bit and picks up an efficiency, still, you know, lead, is top of the league in steals and things like that. They'll be able to, to get more for him than they would even a Greg Monroe at the trade deadline. Now, Tony, with you know, you mentioned it too, your experience in Cleveland and and covering the team over there. You know, what what does De, you know Delvadova? What does he bring to this team and the intangibles and just just what type of presence does he bring uh, to a guy that like me that doesn't necessarily cover basketball that often? Like, just what does he bring to the, to that Bucks team? So you know the Energizer Bunny, yeah, that's you betcha. Um, Delvadova is a guy. If you follow the NBA, he's a Joakim Noah, and not by the position, obviously, but by if he's not on your team, you hate him. I would have hated a guy like Delhi guarding me playing basketball. But if he's on your team, you love him. Uh, Coach Teron Liu told me one time uh, when we were talking about Della Vadova, and he said, if you don't love Delhi, you don't love basketball, because Della Vadova will go 110 miles an hour in practice, at a pickup game and in a game. And you know exactly what you're going to get from him. And, and he's really smart. He's a guy who knows how to run any offense. He's a guy that will kind of bow up and will defend anyone. He doesn't back down from the challenge. Uh, I don't want to use the term locked up, but he shut up Steph Curry in the 2015 NBA Finals that the Cavs ended up losing. But defensively, Della Vadova was right there with Curry. And then – He's a guy who in practice will make people better. I know that him and, uh, him and Kyrie used to get into it in practice a lot. And Kyrie, I think, is one of the best point guards in the league and can blow by anybody. And he would give Kyrie fits on the defensive end of the floor, and Kyrie would get frustrated as all heck because he wasn't able to, uh, to break ankles the way he was in a game. And so with the Bucks, you're getting a guy in Del Vadova who is just a grinder. The city of Milwaukee is going to love him. Uh, the Bucks players on the team I know already like being around him. Uh, he's one heck of a ping pong player. He's a health freak, and <laughs> I, 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 I think it's, he's going to be absolutely great for this team. And like I said, they need people who can put scores in the position to score. And Delvadova can hit an open three, but he's also, you know, a, a bookworm when it comes to studying an offense or studying a, a playbook. And he can get you into that early offense and run a team when he's on the floor and. And that's going to bode well for guys like Jabari and Carter-Williams and, and Yanni. Uh, you know, and now transitioning over, I know we said 20 minutes, and if, when good, you know, time flies when you're having fun, and we appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, just real quick about the Badgers, just a couple of things. First off, what are you guys doing at ESPN Wisconsin? Sounds like you guys have, was it Ryan Rosillo coming in, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, what's going over on at ESPN Wisconsin with just such a big week uh, building up to Wisconsin-Ohio State on Saturday? Yeah, so I'll be sleeping at the office, uh, our new office downtown, <laughs> um, basically, uh, starting tomorrow. Um, we have a little bit of everything going on. We started the week with David Gilreath on the air. Uh, we're going to have Desmond Howard tomorrow, who will be in town for ESPN's College Game Day. And then Friday, um, it's an event open to the public. And Ryan Rosillo and Danny Cannell are both going to be in town. They're going to be doing Rosillo and Cannell live from the Edgewater uh, from 12 to 3. Feel free to stop on by, bring friends. Uh, and then they're going to be, or Canell is going to, Canell is going to fly back, but Rosillo is going to stick around for the game, uh, which means we'll probably be shutting down Wando's at some point Friday night, uh, especially <laughs> with it being a night game on Saturday. And yeah, we have that broadcast going on. We're actually going to be live and local from Edgewater all day on starting at 9 a.m. on Friday. Uh, so skip work, uh, do what you got to do to come out there and. Uh, and then Saturday we're going big all day with the with the pregame shows, with the Badger talk, with 
the big time national guests. It's just going to be fun. I mean, very rarely, I mean, college game day hasn't been here since 2011. The Badgers were supposed to be 0 and 12 at this point in the season, even though they only played however many games because their schedule was so tough. And and now people are excited about them. So we are definitely definitely taking advantage and obviously invite you and all of your fans and listeners and readers to uh, to stop on by and partake in the fun because these kind of games don't take them for granted because this is going to be this is going to be a fun atmosphere. Definitely something everyone should be a part of. Now, Tony, you mentioned it before though they have exceeded expectations. They beat LSU. They beat Michigan State. They were right in there with Michigan. They've had some injuries and they've overcome some of that. Schedule though, I mean, you talk about how tough the schedule is. Perhaps their toughest contest coming up this week. Now it is at home, but when you look at this team, is this a uh, as it's constructed now with the personnel they have healthy for the game coming up, can they legitimately give Ohio State a game? Can they beat them? Or is that just kind of pie-in-the-sky belief that they're going to be able to to pull the upset? I would say that this team can legitimately give Ohio State a game. And that is not the alum in me. That is the Wisconsin. I I saw the line, and, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, was, did the the line open at like nine and a half and is currently at ten or something with uh in favor of it Ohio was, State? It was like nine nine and a half to start, and then I saw as of yesterday. I haven't seen it. I'm checking it now. I'm pretty sure it was at ten and a half yesterday. Maybe ten ten and a half. Yeah. When's the last time at home the Badgers lost a game by more than seven points? You know what I mean? Like I mean, people Absolutely. the Badgers had great teams in the past. 10 years, let's say, and they've had some mediocre teams. But, you know, when I was a student, it was, it was, it was the same time that James White was here. And he went his whole college career without losing a game by more than a touchdown, and I know at, at home. So, look, the way I look at it, the Badgers' defense is the Badgers' defense. I mean, that's, it's one of the best defenses in the country, and I would stack it against any SEC school. Obviously not having Vince Beagle hurts a little bit, but the way they were able to – run down Brandon Harris and LSU and, and, and lock up O'Connor from Michigan State and, and really hold a Michigan team that dropped 78. I don't care who you play, 78 is a lot. To hold them the way that they did to basically, you know, they had a broken play that gave up that game-winning touchdown for Michigan. The defense is going to keep the Badgers in this game. They're going to have to establish themselves on the ground. But to think that, you know, for anyone to go into it saying, you know, the last time Badgers played Ohio State, I know it was 59-0. to zero. I told you guys I lived in Cleveland. I moved there that weekend, and it was the worst experience being in a bar as the only Badger fan is. The <laughs> Buckeye honks just, just crushed me the whole night. Like, it was awful. And so I get that, that, you know, the last time these two teams played, it was a 60-point blowout. But I really just, you know, at home, in that atmosphere, I just don't see the Badgers' defense giving up that many points. I don't see them being blown out. And at the end of the day, when you're facing, what is this now, the fourth top ten team that you faced this season, all you can ask for is to be in it in the fourth quarter. And then, I mean, you guys know it. Right after jump around hits, it's a whole new ball game. And, uh, and you, and oh, you yeah. hope for the best. So if the, if the Badgers can keep it close, as I think they will because of that defense, then – you know, never say never. I hope uh, hope we get to experience a, a field storming because that would be – this city wouldn't sleep till Tuesday if if they knock <laughs> off Ohio State at the night game. So uh, I hope the bars around Camp Randall are stocking up and they're ready for a party. Yeah, I mean, I still remember 2003 uh, when I kind of – maybe this shows my age where right after they beat number three Ohio State, everyone going out to State Street and just people, I think, up on light posts and you know, and I still remember 2010 as well. It's gonna be, it's gonna be quite the atmosphere, and if they can pull off the win, it's gonna be quite it. Yeah, it, yeah, it'll be quite the rush, and 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 then you're talking about uh, even further beyond uh, maybe playoff talk, if depending upon what happens uh, with the Big Ten title game and and how how they can finish out the season. But uh, Tony, it's been great talking with you, and uh, you know, where can fa- fans find you on Twitter? Where can they find you? Uh, you know, shows and, and uh, yeah, just run down what you guys are doing again for ESPN Wisconsin. Yeah, so I'm on the air from basically nine to noon every day on uh, 100.5 ESPN, ESPNWisconsin.com. Uh, tomorrow morning, we'll be in Tausch. Jason Wilde and Mark Tauscher will have Desmond Howard at 9.30 uh, talking Badgers, and I'm sure talking a little Packers. And then starting at 11, myself and ESPN Madison's Greg Scalzo on the Rocks. 
um, which is, you know, a name that probably describes that show really well as two very wacky dudes who are always kind of just talking about whatever. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we'll have that, ESPNWisconsin.com, all my written work and things like that, and uh, at Tony Cartagena on Twitter. Excellent, man. Thank you so much for jumping on. And, by the way, apologies again for, for butchering your name. I uh, deserve, like – yeah, yeah, I am. I am ashamed, sir. I am ashamed. Don't don't even think twice about it. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Excellent, guys. That's Tony Cartagena from. Did I say it right? Please tell me I said it right there. Did I say it right there? No, not at all. Oh, oh, no, he, oh, oh, he, it sounded good. Okay, no, he yeah he dropped off the air. Uh, great having Tony on. Make sure you guys follow him at Tony Cartagena uh, on Twitter. ESPN Wisconsin. They got a lot of crazy stuff going on, uh, Scotty, this weekend. And, you know, I've I've been to the Edgewater quite a few times uh, with the day job that I work at. Uh, they do great things there. At, at, I'm gonna have to try to in between certain things this week uh, on Friday. I'm gonna have to try to get down there for Rosillo and Canell and, and and much more. Uh, you know, and coming into town, we talked about what the Badgers can do. Right now, we have a good friend of mine from SB Nation and Land Grant Holy Land. We got Matt Brown, a little easier name to, uh, yeah, uh, to to say. And uh, Matt, how you doing, man? And uh, great having you on. Yeah, thanks. It's 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 great to be here. I'm I'm glad that I can uh, I, I can I can help folks out with having probably the most simple name uh, on the internet. <laughs> the only problem is that it's, it's folks confusing me for the other Matt Brown around my age that writes about college football. But at least it's easy to pronounce. <laughs> yeah. No. Absolutely. Well, Matt, absolutely. <laughs> Man, I want to I want to jump into this. Um, I was doing some research the other day, just looking at the all-time series, and obviously that covers the '70s and '80s, and and when the Badgers were just woeful. But Ohio State with a 57, 18, and five lead. More importantly, what make, what what's I think a little bit more impactful? They won the last four. Um, Ohio State, I think, is the best team in college football right now, uh, despite what the people who love the SEC are saying. The Badgers have been a surprise. Their record's better than people thought. They played well. But do people in Columbus, do people around the team believe that the Badgers are going to give Ohio State a game, or are they kind of looking at this as just another another one in a long line of victims before they run into Michigan later in the season? I, I certainly think the Ohio State fan base anticipates this being a game. This is It's at night. It's on the road. Weird things happen in Madison, uh, you know, both independent of this football team, you just just in general, and then also in Camp Randall. Uh, and while Ohio State has has a really comfortable lead in the all-time series, I believe the Buckeyes have only lost once in the last decade. Uh, that was in 2010, and, and the last meeting was a, a, an absolute obliteration. Uh, but a lot of those games are relatively low scoring and relatively close. Um, I think Wisconsin's only cracked 30 points like once in the last like 10 or 12 years. And generally this is a kind of like 24, 17 ish kind of slugfest uh, where one or two particular plays can, can really change things. I, I don't think I know too many Ohio state fans. This includes the readers on our website and our staff. I think Ohio state's going to lose, but around, I think the spreads around 10 and a half and that feels about right to me. So a game that you're going to have to watch all the way through, but one that we still expect Ohio State's going to win, albeit uh, closer than the, the other games they've played this season. Yeah, man, I mean, it's it's intriguing. I think the one major, you know, looking at the matchups, and we we talked to Tony about this a little bit, and we shed light on it. Where it's, I think it's a combination of, you know, the, and it was sort of like the same way against Michigan for the Badgers, where they have to control both you know, the rushing game of, of Michigan, like, and, and they did for the most part, they're going to have to try to do that against uh, an, an amazing Ohio State offense where you have JT Barrett, uh, who obviously is a threat running the ball as well as passing it. Uh, but then, you know, you have Mike Weber, uh, who I know some people have compared to uh, Carlos Hyde um, in more recent memory, but also, you know, Curtis Samuel, who's on the edge. Uh, and I think some people have, if I'm not mistaken, referred to him sort of a Percy Harvin type look on yeah. his end, but you have Noah Brown. Uh, so, I mean, you know, on, that's for the passing game more than, more than anything, but you have like just that rushing game. They're going to have to try to contain that first. And then likewise on the opposite side, Wisconsin needs to get their rushing attack, which I'm not mistaken is on the bottom third of, of, 
uh, you know, the the uh, FBS, the Division One rankings, and they're around 78th or so. Uh, you're looking at them where they need to get the running game going there. Uh, I mean, how how do you attack that Ohio State run game? Uh, and, and, I mean, is it, is it just, I guess, you know, as I, I've said it before, where is it just playing disciplined football and knowing your assignments? Uh, you know, can you really contain that Ohio State rushing game? I, I, I think you can. It's it's difficult. Um but it's it's not it's not impossible and a, and a big reason for the, the the a big reason that you're going to be able to potentially stop it is that it's extremely young everywhere. Mike Weber is a redshirt freshman. Uh, the the Buckeyes are starting a true freshman at guard. They have a, a redshirt freshman, I think, at right tackle, um, and they have shown some bouts of instability. I don't know instability, but inconsistency. Um, Ohio State's offensive line has also, really over the last two years, occasionally struggled against odd fronts, against bare fronts. Um, and uh, what we saw against Indiana is that the, uh, the Buckeyes are not always able to attack teams deep. Um, when, ideally, Ohio State's able to, because they have such speed and size at wide receiver, um, that they, they'll try to punish teams that stack the box by taking the top off the defense and sending Noah Brown or sending Curtis Samuel deep, and they have the speed to get behind defensive backs. Against Indiana, Barrett's throws weren't really on target. My understanding is that there might be some crappy weather in this game, which makes that more difficult for Ohio State. And if they can't do that, um, Barrett can still run really well. And Mike Weber can still run really well. But you can limit the explosiveness because Weber isn't Ezekiel Elliott. He's not somebody that's going to get a ton of highlight yards. He's not someone that is able to break four tackles and easily get into the secondary. Weber is kind of a, a consistently six, seven yards a carry kind of person. And I feel like Wisconsin has the personnel to do a lot of bending. Um, so that, that's, that, that's how I think you do it. You, 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 you play as tight as you possibly can with Ohio State's wide receivers and try to make them beat you uh, and, and, and limit Ohio State's running game to a bunch of little cuts. Um, the Buckeyes are still going to score, you know, 27 points, but that, that, that will give you a chance to win. If, if the Buckeyes are completing deep passes, I don't, I don't think Wisconsin has a chance. Well, and, and see, that, that's part of the problem is if that's the case, I think if, if Wisconsin or if Ohio State scores 27 points, I don't think Wisconsin's offense can score 27 points. Cause I, no, they can't. I mean, you see, yeah, and you see it every day. You get to cover the team. Everybody talks about the explosiveness of Ohio State, but I think people overlook the talent that this team has on defense at, at, at Ohio State because they, they talk about the scoring and the offense, but I don't think the Badgers can put up 27 points against Ohio State's defense. Well, so that's actually, I think, the biggest key to this game. There's only one team in the country right now that has not given up a rushing touchdown, and that's Ohio State. Um, they have been exceptional in the red zone. And the way that you can beat them is you can, you can get the occasional bust in play. Secondary is pretty young. Uh, the defensive line is still pretty young. and doesn't do a great job of getting sacks. But in terms of uh, secondary havoc and, and generating turnovers, and their ability to lock down in the uh, in the red zone because their pass rush in in those kind of unique packages is so strong, they're really really hard to score against if you're not able to generate explosive plays. Uh, I could see a scenario where Wisconsin gets that much because Ohio State's offense still has the propensity to turn the ball over, especially early in the game, uh, and they do make some special teams mistakes. So that might be a place where Wisconsin can get themselves a couple of short field situations or an explosive play outside of their offense to, to give themselves a, a chance. Like, I, I don't see this team going up and down the field for four different sustained offensive drops to get touchdowns. But if they play really well on defense, they might not necessarily have to. You know, we're here with Matt Brown from Land Grant Holy Land and also SB Nation. Uh, great stuff from him. I mean, you do stuff for what Vanquish the Foe, which is on uh, which is the the BYU website too. Uh, you can find you know find Matt at Matt SBN uh, for SB Nation and on Twitter. With that, I, with with the secondary, you know, I was just looking at some fun stats, Matt, and and just the one thing that popped out is that Ohio State already has four interceptions returned for touchdowns, right? And that's 
Uh, you know, we've seen some plays by Wisconsin's defense this year where, you know, the Leo Musso fumble return, uh, 66 yards for a touchdown. You, you've seen, you know, some big plays there, some key interceptions, which is more than what you've seen, I think, in the past from um, even Dave Aranda's defense from uh, the past three years beforehand. But uh, what, how is the secondary getting it done? It's impressive. Yeah, that, and, and it's it's crazy because I think going into the season, a lot of Ohio State fans were a little bit concerned about that because they just sent uh, Eli Apple in the first round of the NFL. They sent Von Bell, you know, an All-American caliber safety to the NFL. They're they're you know, tied as pals on the Seahawks now. They they lost three guys, and they're bringing in some really inexperienced people. But it turns out. If you recruit virtually nothing but four stars every single year and your second and your third stringers are all Army All-American guys, you have pretty good people to step in. So you've had a combination here of one, Ohio State made a really, really good hire uh, to replace Chris Ash. They brought in Greg Schiano, And we can say whatever you want about Greg Schiano as a human being or Greg Schiano as somebody who employs sound management practices, or Greg Schiano as somebody who knows how to keep, you know, dangerous bacterial diseases off of couches. You know, clearly those are all things Greg Schiano is not thinking about. <laughs> but when it comes to uh, coaching secondaries, he's really, really good at that. He's somebody who's able to, to build top 25, top 30 defenses at friggin' Rutgers. Uh, and now he has – uh, NFL caliber talent, and he's been able to the Ohio State's defensive scheme as, as Oklahoma's backup quarterback. So uh, adeptly uh, described, it's not super complicated, but because the, the, they they those players are so athletic, and now they're, they're disciplined enough to consistently be in the right position to win those one-on-one matchups. And since Ohio State has such a dangerous pass rush, where they can, even though they're not getting a bunch of sacks, they're they're making quarterbacks uncomfortable. That puts people in a position to make plays on the ball. Marshawn Lattimore and Malik Hooker, those, those are the two big names. That they're both new. Uh, they're both very physical. They're both extremely fast, and they've got great hands. Uh, Hooker probably should have gotten returned another touch, uh, interception for a touchdown against Indiana. I got called back at the end of the game on a, a dubious block in the back penalty. That should have been five. Um, and it's, it's, it's tough, you know, especially if you're a team like Wisconsin where you don't have – people who are going to be able to get behind those guys uh, just in terms of raw speed. So that's going to be an, an interesting matchup here and see if they can, if they can exploit their inexperience uh, because they're not going to win the athleticism matchup. Mike, let me, let me look ahead a little bit. We, I don't, cause I don't get a lot of chance to talk with you and wrap with you, but I was thinking about yeah. Michigan the other day and I was thinking about specifically the seven years before the spitting idiot Jim Harbaugh took over that, that team. <laughs> um, and other than 2011, you know, the Michigan wasn't the Michigan that they were under Bo Schembechler and Lloyd Carr. And Wisconsin's been great, and Michigan State's been great. But the Big Ten to me is better when both Ohio State and Michigan are winning. And now that's happened. And, and it seems to, to be a renewed fervor. This rivalry never died, don't get me wrong. But now that both teams are, are back in that, that upper echelon and that elite again, ha, have you felt a rejuvenation of the, the, the victory all between these two teams and, and that renewed hatred? And, and, and basically <laughs> that last game of the year is going to be a doozy. It's, it's, it's going to be crazy. It, 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 it's weird. The rivalry did kind of die down a little bit near the end of the – the Brady Hoke year. I mean, like Ohio State and Michigan have never liked never liked each other. Like they, they stopped not liking each other. But um, the fact that Michigan hasn't really contended for for anything of real significance over the last decade or so um, has almost led Ohio State fans to take the game for granted a little bit. And Michigan, which has a as, as I'm sure you guys are aware, a very large, vibrant, and uh, arrogant online fan base was, was humbled a little bit. And that's all gone out the window with college football, Donald Trump. And you, you've seen it with their <laughs> own, like their, their, their own, uh, their own beat writers, certainly Michigan blogosphere. And, and I, I think the fact that it's not just a guy that's like catered to every stereotype of Michigan, both positive and negative, but somebody who's un, unceasingly made himself a sideshow attraction without having really won anything of consequence yet while Ohio State is doing what they've been doing right now, has led to a lot of, of uh, grumbling with, within fans. And, and, you know, it's nice to have that trash talk back. It's nice to have th- these games be a, a such huge event. I think the rivalry kind of got passed a little bit nationally by uh, Auburn, Alabama, 
um, because Michigan hasn't been as good. That's not going to be the case this year, even if one of these teams loses the game before the finale, which is, I think, what's going to happen. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be huge. And I, I, I'm not a big fan of Harbaugh. I'm not a big fan of, of the stupid stories. I had to write, you know, 12 Harbaugh stories over the summer, and I'm sure I'm going to have to do it again this year. Um, <laughs> you know, it's when it's July, and it's like, well, you know, I can either write about Big 12 or whatever Harbaugh did. Yes, i got to write about Harbaugh. I'm not a fan of that, but I am a fan of the increased attention and prominence that this rivalry has, which ultimately I think helps the Big Ten. We're here with Matt Brown here on Bucky's fifth quarter in the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Uh, you know, with just overall, I think you already talked about how you know your kind of your prediction of, of them winning, um, and and just with you know kind of talked about exploring there. Uh, one key this, uh, for each team, give me a, or what's one key for each team in, in this game, and then uh, what, you said that they're going to win, but what's the score in your opinion? Sure. So the, the key here for Ohio State is they're going to have to establish a medium to deep passing attack. And if you're not able to make teams respect you vertically and if your only passing game is coming from screens or bubbles or pop passes or, or some of the kind of more horizontal plays that are in Ohio State's arsenal, a team that is as well-disciplined and tackles as well as Wisconsin can bottle you up, shorten the game, and make this big, dumb, ugly football. Like, like they did really well against Michigan, and that plays right into the Badgers' strength. Um, they were not able to do this at all against Indiana. They did it very well against every other team that they've played. And if it's raining, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be hard. But if Ohio State's able to do that even kind of well and, and force Wisconsin's linebackers and safeties to respect that pass, I think that they're going to be able to score more points than Wisconsin's going to be able to. For the Badgers, I, I think an absolute key here is for them to take care of the football. Against a team that has such an athletic advantage like Ohio State has, and a team that's been so good at winning the turnover battle and turning those turnovers into huge plays, you don't get to make it. You don't get to make any of those mistakes. You have to. You have to be the team that gets the 25-yard, 30-yard field instead of Ohio State, and they're really good at getting those interceptions. But if the Badgers are able to keep a clean sheet there, uh, then they have a chance. I like Ohio State to win this game something in the tune of 32 to 20, so just barely cover. Yeah, no, I mean, it's going to be, I think, a big game. I mean, the atmosphere is going to be there. I, Yeah, I'm, I'm still on the fence when it comes to that Wisconsin offense. If they had some semblance of a running game, which was supposed to be improved over last year, uh, but yeah. injuries, and, 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 and again, derailed – uh, just kind of, there's still potential there. They like, from what I've heard from other media members, and also just, you know, you've heard from them that they like Brett Connors, who's at center now, but a former walk-on from from New Berlin in the Milwaukee area. But they switched out Michael Dieter, who was a Remington Trophy, uh, you know, watch list candidate, uh, yeah. even before. Yeah. You know, like I mean, I, I think the strength of this team really lies in the fact that for that running game is if they can get. Dieter to stick at center, and if they can get Dietzen at left guard or Micah Kapoy, even though it, you know, even though Kapoy's off the injury list after suffering a, a foot injury, uh, I, I, you know, if they can just get Dietzen healthy, I think that's where their running game really succeeds. And I'm just, I, you know, until I can see that running game at least give them a little bit of a semblance, like you say, you know, of, of hope, like they did against Akron. Granted, it was against the Zips, uh, but it's also against LSU in, in, in that third quarter and whatnot. There was potential there where they were driving people off the ball, uh, and it looked like they were coming back, and especially against an athletic defense uh, with Dave Randa at the helm uh, for the Tigers. You know, there's promise, but against Michigan State, against uh, and then obviously against Michigan where they couldn't get anything done. Uh, I, I, I just – I think, you know, my prediction – I'll look at the skies in just a second. I, you know, I'm looking uh, just because of the game. I'll say 24-17, and that's Buckeyes. And, and, and for at least that's how I'm feeling right now. I, I wouldn't doubt it if something happens when it comes to, uh, you know, who knows what may happen where, you know, maybe a key turnover. But, I mean, the big thing, you have to contain that run game for the Buckeyes and then uh, try to make them beat you by, you know, with that passing game like you mentioned before. But then also just – capitalize every opportunity and they didn't against the Wolverines where they could have had three interceptions uh, and they didn't. And so, uh, you know, if they would have, I mean, it negates one touchdown against the Wolverines, uh, their opening touchdown. uh, And then even uh, the one at the goal line with Figaro, uh, the third cornerback, 
heck, he may take that to the house, and you're talking about a whole brand-new ball game there. So, uh, But, no, I'll say 24-17. Scotty, what are you thinking? I'm thinking 27-14 Ohio State. And here's the difference between Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, and Florida State, and Wisconsin. I think – and teams like Wisconsin. I think across the board they're pretty even when it comes to their rosters, their starting rosters. Teams like Ohio State, teams like Alabama – they can absorb injuries a little better because they've got 80 guys that are four-star recruits or higher. I think the injuries play a part. I think uh, Ohio State wins by 13. Yeah, and uh, Matt, you know what? What coverage are you guys busting out over uh, at, at Land Grant Holy Land? And uh, what do you guys? Anybody coming up for the game at all? I don't. I don't think so. I wish I was. I love Madison. Madison's my favorite city. Um, I, I, I have not yet been to a night game there. I, I, I'm sure it's going to be stupendous. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've made my request uh, to to our, my boss to to send me to Madison for a game this year. We'll see if that actually happens. I don't think anyone's coming up. Um, we'll be doing some. We'll do some video work. Um, we're, we'll we've got a bunch more. I think more detailed film study analysis that's, that's going to go up a little bit later this week. Tuesdays are typically my day off, so. I haven't had a chance to, to look deep into the editorial queue. Um, but if you are a Badger fan that's looking for a little bit more of an analytical uh, and film-focused look at what Ohio State offers, be sure to check out Land Grant Holy Land in the next uh, three days. That's awesome. Matt, we, we appreciate you, especially on the East Coast like you are in D.C. Appreciate you making some time so late. Uh, we need to tell – I know we're running out of time. Next time we need to tell some fun dad dad stories together. Uh, I, I love you. <laughs> yeah, you bet. I, I love the – I love the Twitter stuff that you do talking about the, some of the fun stories of your past. Uh, I know I have a few stories uh, too that I, sh- I should try to share here and there if I can get away from work, but uh, appreciate you having, having you on man. And, and thanks again for making time. Yeah, no problem. Have, have a, have a good evening fellas and enjoy the game. Will do. We'll do Matt Brown from SB nation and land grant. Holy land. Uh, from there, let's just take one quick break. Uh, actually, no, you know what? Let's, let's, let's roll with this. Uh, Scotty, I'm getting a little bit of feedback on your end, by the way. Uh, I don't yeah, know if I, I can know. hear that. Yeah, I don't know how to explain it. So, because no. nothing's really good. So. But uh, yeah, re- real know, quick, I don't. It is what it is. Technology. And it is what I, yeah, because you're not on speakerphone. And uh, earlier, for a little while, you were, and there was no feedback then. So I, I, I guess, you know, hey. Technology will be the lifeblood and the death of this nation, just so everybody knows. So, um, but let's yeah. quickly let—I know we're running out of time here as a whole. But let's talk baseball real quick. It's been an interesting. First of all, the American League playoffs were interesting in so much that both series were sweeps, and both went to the teams I didn't think were going to win. I was thinking Boston, Texas. Um, I will say this: uh, the the big overriding theme to me for the National League playoffs have been. Uh, the era of the hitting pitchers between Arietta and Wood and uh, Baumgartner and Kershaw with a big double today, it seems like pitchers, uh, at least some of them, have been uh, earning their pay at the plate. Yeah, it's – I mean, you've seen some of these. I mean, I haven't been able to watch a lot of the Major League Baseball playoffs just with hashtag dad life stuff and among other things. But, uh, yeah, you're hearing about these pitchers hitting home runs. You're hitting – um, I, I don't know. It's, yeah. Hey, I mean, you know, got to love it with the uh, national league in and how they're represented in there. Um, I mean, what's, what's some of your big takeaways uh, that you've seen so far? I mean, you had big pop, you know, big poppies, you know, David Ortiz's farewell just uh, yesterday after the, the uh, Red Sox lost. What's, um, what have you made so far from this first round? Well, I mean, that's the big one. I mean, big poppy. And then obviously the early exit, a surprise early exit by Boston, uh, it was interesting to see Brian Anderson calling games that had Carlos Gomez and Jonathan Lucroy and, and, and Jeremy Jeffers in it that didn't involve the Milwaukee Brewers. So that was that was kind of interesting. Um, you know, the Cubs still look like the team that beat in the National League. They're trailing right now, but they're up two games to one. That game one was amazing, that one nothing game. And really, I think, will be the difference in the series. Even you know, I think this one might go five, but the Cubs win it. And that game could have went either way. Um but uh, the Cubs were able to win it with the with the late home run, and, and that, that's going to be the difference. Uh, Dodgers, Washington tied at two. They'll play a exciting game here coming up. But um, 
I think it's the Cubs. And now I, I now I'm kind of pulling for Cubs in Cleveland. We talked about the long droughts. Cleveland not winning a World Series since '46. Chicago not winning a World Series since well, gosh knows when. So it'll be an interesting uh, series if they meet to see who breaks that streak first. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's getting to the good part. I'm. I'm actually going to try to sit down and actually start watching some of it now uh, in between all the uh, craziness on my end. And, and right now it's 1-1 between Cubs-Giants, middle of the fourth on uh, Fox Sports 1. Um, by the way, odd question, do you watch Fox Sports 1 outside of baseball or anything? Um, Only when I'm watching live play-by-play. Um, you know, I was really hoping Fox Sports 1 – uh, in its inception would be an alternative to some of the weird schlocky stuff we see on ESPN, like first take. And really all they've done is try to out ESPN, ESPN. It was kind of like the whole age old YTNA failed because they tried to out WWE, the WWE. I think, you know, Skip Bayless coming over and Coward and some of the, the, the bloviated bombastic talking heads, just changing places. And uh, so, no, I, I'm sorry, like that first take sort of style of sports is just not for me. I mean, and obviously it's got a place because those guys are making a ton of money and getting jobs and the ratings are good. But for me personally, you can keep the forced debate stuff. I'm just not interested. Yeah, yeah, I, I just haven't gotten into it. And yeah, it's, you know, we'll see what comes of it. And, and even with ESPN, with them kind of from what's been, I mean, we'll see how that. Um, things shape out uh, for, you know, for well, here's the difference. Here's yeah. the difference. I think there's a lot of that crazy filler daytime programming that sucks for both ESPN and Fox sports one. But when it comes down to doing serious documentaries and serious hard hitting stuff, ESPN will still blow anybody out of the water. So when you weigh the pros and cons, you know, instead of, you know, Fox sports one should have been like, Hey, we're going to be news and information all the time and try to beat ESPN at that. Instead, they tried to out, entertainment ESPN, but when ESPN buckles down and they want to do serious stuff, they'll still blow you out of the water. And, and I, I think so, even though I can't stand first take and, and I, you know, TI has kind of gotten old and some of those other shows, when they do need to do hard hitting stuff, they still have the resources. They're still the, uh, uh, the reigning champ when it comes to that. Oh yeah. And let's just say that too. ESPN college game day, uh, bar none, amazing stuff on their end. I know I'll be down there trying to, uh, uh, say hi to, to some of our fellow media guys, if they're going to be down there, but also take my, our four-year-old son, Eli down for his first event, uh, down there. Cause he's, he's starting to get into football a little bit more now. Uh, we'll have that. Uh, we'll also, you know, like you mentioned, the 30 for 30 documentaries are just amazing uh, and stuff. Like, I watched that. My wife and I watched the entire O.J. Made in America uh, documentary series, and it was, like, just, you know, like, crazy to see just, you know, how much I remembered from that time and, and obviously what people didn't know, too. And, you know, we've had Billy Corbin on the show in the past talking about the U and uh, and Broke. Love that stuff. He was really gracious with our time. Um, back when we were an independent podcast. So, yeah, hands down, like ESPN um, has, you know, outside of the lines, uh, great investigative reporting uh, and amazing stuff. And they're going to be, they're going to have some great stuff this weekend. Like I said, uh, Tony Cartagena, uh, Henya, uh, the, uh from ESPN Wisconsin, big thanks for him coming on the show, talking Packers, Bucks, Badgers, and, and really just great talking with him uh, about that. And make sure you guys check out the Edgewater here in Madison uh, all day Friday. Uh, I'm going to try to make it out there to say hi uh, in between my work functions. Uh, and then also just, uh, guys, enjoy the weekend. Uh, we'll tune back. Scott, is there anything else that you want to mention before we uh, take it home? No, no. Basically, have fun. Be safe. It's going to be a great time in Madison. I hope everybody enjoys it. I hope you enjoy it with your family. And I hope Lee Corso doesn't get too much heat for putting the Buckeye head on. I mean, I remember back in being there in 2011, people were calling him an a-hole, like really loud. It was, I don't, I'm hoping that they're – you know, I'm hoping people. I mean, it's more of a chant here, but still, you should, I, I'm hoping they don't do that. Uh, definitely don't hope they do. They, they do. I, I really hope they don't do that. On I Saturday, hope not either. Yeah, no. But uh, for for all of us here, uh, you know, we're gonna come back next week. Uh, we have some big show. You know, big show again. We'll recap Badgers Buckeyes. We'll look ahead to Badgers matchup at Iowa. Uh, we'll also have uh, some great stuff with uh, Pat talking Packers Cowboys. 
and it's just going to be a crazy week uh, weekend. Uh, we'll have all of it plus baseball playoffs. We'll talk some more Badgers basketball. Uh, make sure you guys follow Bucky's Fifth Quarter at B5Q for all your news and coverage this weekend when it comes to uh, during during the game. Me and Kurt Hogue will be down there, uh, and it'll be a lot of fun. So, uh, guys, for the Polish Rifle, Scott Wisniewski, this is Jay Kokorowski, Doza Bacenia. We will see you next week, and hopefully I'll see you guys downtown uh, later on uh, for the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Accordion solo, American Polka, played by Mr. John J. Kimball, Edison Record.